0: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the best of Morning Drive with Dietrich and White. An on-demand audio presentation of redpeachsports.com and ESPN977.com. Now here's today's show.
2: Good morning, North Louisiana. What up? How goes it? Aaron Dietrich here in the Caldwell Banker Group 1 movie Studio in beautiful Westmor alongside from the Washita Citizen, Jake Mark. What's up? What is happening? I expected you to come in here all fired up this morning, even a richer man, considering uh, how you broke down the big fights for us on yeah, Friday, Lane, yeah. and Saturday, how you were going to plunk down $20 and walk away with
3: 1000 Yeah. That it didn't was happen. the plan. It didn't happen. It was the plan. Out of the
2: five, how many did you get right?
3: Out of those five, I got two right. <laughs> Not a good night.
2: What about but, all that great analysis well, that you gave us on Friday? Well,
3: fr- well, first of all, every underdog won. Uh, so that's something. The guy I like the most, and I, I did pick Cormier to beat um, Stipe, but the guy I like the most, within a minute of the fight, they headbutt each other, and he gets a Tough nasty break. cut. Bloods everywhere, and then he hurts his arm, and I'm like, "Oh, come on!" Because I think he wins that fight nine out of ten. That happens to be the ten. Mm. So it happens. You get some bad breaks.
2: Jake will break break down the fights for us later on. They went WWE there at the end. They
3: right? did. You want to make money? C- create a stir. Yeah. Everybody's talking about it today. Mm-hmm. Brought lesser creates headlines. It made a
2: nice uh, segment on Sports Center on Sunday morning too.
3: Yeah. Well, I'll go ahead and talk about it now. So. First of all, DC won. Daniel Cormier won, which means he's the second fighter to be uh, both uh, a, a two division champion at, at simultaneously. Uh, others have had to relieve their belt. Now, where did
2: he go to school at in, in Lafayette? That I don't know. All right, just curious.
3: Anyway, um, look it up. yeah, look that up. Anyway, he um, he, he he defeated Stipe with the first round knockout and which means that he is both the heavyweight and light heavyweight champion and it secures his legacy. He's one of the greatest of all time. No one can take that away from him. What happened afterwards though is what most people are talking about. He gets on the mic, he calls out Brock Lesnar who was there. Lesnar gets in the ring or octagon, I should say, and he has some to- well first of all he pushes DC. Which, Cormier said, kind of surprised him because they go back since the the late 90s. You know, they know each other pretty well. But, of course, Brock knows how to sell fights. He knows how to sell pay-per-views. So he pushes DC. And then he gets on the mic and he says a lot of cuss words. But basically says the heavyweight division's trash. I'm here to save it. I'm coming for you, DC. And everyone said, oh, it was staged. And I'm like, it kind of depends on what your definition of staged is were they all in on it absolutely i mean you could see when dc one he was looking outside the cage, looking for Lesnar, at looking and saying hey you want to come on you want to make some money and now did they did they go beforehand and plan it and say hey i want you to come in and push me and then you say this and i'll say this? that part wasn't staged they kind of went with the flow but they definitely were trying to sell pay-per-views right there
2: this is pretty good information if you believe everything you read on wikipedia are you ready to hear his background in uh, Louisiana high school Go wrestling? And Northside, he won three Louisiana state championships. Uh, after ninth grade, he only lost twice, both times by injury default. His final high school record was 101-9, and nine, with 89 of his victories coming by fall. Twice he was voted the most outstanding wrestler in the state tournament. Yeah. And, of course,
3: now he's accomplished the greatest accomplishment, you know, He's ever had. And this is a guy who's competed in the Olympics. He had great success at Oklahoma State as a wrestler.
2: Was offered a scholarship to play football at LSU, according to Wikipedia, but declined in order to pursue his wrestling career. Went on to, went on to wrestle at Colby Community College. After that, of course, went to Oklahoma State.
3: Hmm. Nice. Yeah. So, Louisiana boy on top.
2: Northside high.
3: Northside high.
2: More wrestling news <laughs> coming from uh, Jake <laughs> later on.
3: Yeah. Well, anyway, that's that's kind of the ball. The fights delivered. There was one, actually, one of the heavyweight fights was literally one of the worst fights I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, but other than that fight, the rest of the fights were crazy good. Yeah.
2: So you didn't mind forking over the cash?
3: Oh, no, no. It was definitely worth it. It was one of the best cards of the year.
2: You're flipping around this weekend. What caught your attention? 888-993-7762. It's the Stuart Goosehead Insurance Hotline slash text line. Go to StuartShelby.com for a free quote. Quite frankly, it's tough during the summer. It, it is tough, isn't it? I mean, literally, they were showing reruns of Nathan's <laughs> hot dog eating competition.
3: Honestly, Aaron, around this time, I watched reruns of college football games from last well,
2: year. Well, I, I think that would be your number one option. Because, I mean, they were showing reruns of uh, college basketball games. I mean, I saw uh, yeah, Oregon. Not uh, into that. Arizona.
3: Yeah, I don't care about to watch uh, reruns of college basketball games. But college football games, like they're showing bowl games now and stuff. Yeah, if I catch that, I, I'll stick on that channel.
2: I mean, you did have a uh, live coverage of the World Series of uh, Poker in Vegas, though. So. And we do have a yeah. little bit of a local angle. Uh, ben Mintz, of course, uh, you heard he r- heard him on this show numerous times. Uh, he's competing in it, or I should say was competing in it, but a fantastic performance by him. He finishes 347th overall.
3: Very cool local story. Good for
2: Ben. I'm sure he'll want to come on the show probably soon and uh, retell a few of his stories from Vegas.
3: For sure. We'll, we'll be interested in hear, hear from him. Um, but you did say what else caught your eye this this weekend. And I feel like I should say this because I, as, as much as I try to get people invested or interested in the fighting game, the fight game with, with MMA, I had to open myself up and go, okay, I'll check out the World oh, Cup. I it's will about time. late to the party. I will watch a little soccer. And plus, uh, Matt Reynolds, friend of the show, he, he texted me and said, Hey, I heard you on the show. Uh, if you're interested in, in a match, all right, check out uh, Belgium and, and Brazil. They're two of the best.
2: Um, we, we have not got to the World Cup update, but now it's Jake Martin's opportunity to tell us what you thought of that quarterfinal matchup.
3: Yeah. So what I thought of it was...
2: <sighs> Easy, tread lightly.
3: I am. It was... It was It was entertaining. I can see the entertainment value in it, right, just because of the atmosphere, the way the fans react. And, of course, you're seeing some athletic plays. That said, I did fall asleep, (laughs) if I'm being honest. I did, but it was a great nap. It was an excellent nap. I I fell asleep. uh, You saw a goal, too, right? I did see a goal. I did text you about that goal. It was pretty cool. It was a header.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But, anyway,
3: it was – yeah, I see the entertainment value. I, I understand why people are into it, but uh still, not my cup of tea.
2: That leads us to our World Cup update.
3: Roberto Martinez va abriendo bravontolla. <laughs> Está frenando Suárez, espera Suárez
0: en diagonal, pero muy ancha, la <laughs> Barrota alcanza a enganchar, la Barrota Cerva este lado. Queda un hombre para la marca, le queda atrás a
1: Suárez, golazo del Barça.
2: We're down to the final four. Wales, we got an all European final four, correct?
4: That is correct.
2: We should be fired up. We got uh, France and Belgium later today, correct?
4: No, I believe that is tomorrow. Tomorrow.
2: And then on Wednesday, we'll have Croatia and England, correct? Yes. Anything stand out with these final four teams remaining?
4: I was a little surprised to see Belgium. I guess I kind of had, not that I didn't think they could beat Brazil, or that I felt like they had the talent, the, the ability was there. I Some people... Kind of questioned some of Roberto Martinez' tactics, and whether whether tactics whether he would shuffle it around a little bit, and he did. He did somewhat. He started Fellaini, which paid off. He got that first goal that Jake did get to see. Uh, so, what'd you last, Jake? Fifteen minutes, because I think <laughs> that goal was scored in like the fourteenth minute. But uh, but I, I had to see it proven. You know, I had to see Belgium really step up and and. Really show me that that they're on that stage and they did. You know that they, they it was it was dominant, maybe too strong, but a a complete victory. Then they they were the better team, no doubt. So good on them, and and of course England keeps rocking along for me. They pretty convincing win against Sweden. So I'm still hopeful on on an Eng, England Belgium matchup, but Croatia's gonna be tough. They dodged a bullet there against Russia, and they went into extra time. Croatia got a goal and then they gave up another one. So, but they got it done in penalties. So you got Croatia and England going for one spot, France and Belgium and the other. And France is probably the, the one team that people they are talking about them, but not in a surprise. They just keep turning along and turning along and here they are in the semis. And that's going to be an outstanding matchup as well. So get on board hey, here that- Tuesday and Wednesday for the semis. And then the, third place game Saturday and championship Sunday.
2: All right. So mark your put down your schedule there, Jake. Do you hear that? Sunday is the final.
3: Okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, I didn't get a chance to see it Tabor. How crazy was the atmosphere of that Croatia Russia game?
4: I took Jake's approach on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be really? honest. Cause with I you. thought I came I thought in
3: that and, was the most exciting one. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Well, I, I came in at, and and had Nick Brown show and watched Watched the England matches that was going on, and then finish it up. And I went and got lunch, and well, you yeah, know, it, it was nap time.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Semis Tuesday, Wednesday, finals on Sunday.
3: I tell you what, Aaron, we need to talk about some college football. All right. We need some life pumped into right. this show. We're we need. I, I got so. What we'll do is we'll start breaking down the
2: conferences.
3: Okay, we'll start with the ACC. Today. I wanted
2: to start with the MEAC.
3: No, we'll start in alphabetical order. Okay. We'll start with the ACC. Okay. And uh, we'll break them down today.
2: The Miami squad that, of course, is going to derail Ed Orgeron right from the get-go.
3: Miami, you got the Clemson squad that's looking for a part four against Bama. You got Florida State. What's What, what are they going to be like without Jimbo Fisher?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You got a lot of compelling storylines in the ACC. A, a conference that has had a legitimate argument for best in the country. You know, right there alongside the SEC and the Big Ten.
2: Our Houston Astros update, because we are your headquarters for the Astros. Uh, five players named to the All-Star squad. They tie the uh, Red Sox and the Indians with the most. Astros with a two-to-one win over the White Sox. They only could muster three hits in this ball game. They still figure out a way to win it. Their record improves to sixty-one and thirty-one overall. They have now won six straight. In their last 10 games, they are 7-3. and three. They now score off against Oakland this week. Houston rolling along. We mentioned the All-Star selections, one of them being Alex Bregman.
3: Alex Bregman, yes. And, of course, Aaron Nola as well. So, LSU had two former players land on the All-Star team. So, congrats to them. And like Nola's s- put together
2: a fantastic year with the Phillies. I think he's 11-2 uh, and, 11 two. and two yeah. with a 2.41 ERA.
3: Yeah, he's, he's had an incredible season. Uh, and Bregman, I thought it was very cool for him to, to, to make the team. Uh, one of his teammates, I can't remember who, was actually videoing him finding out, and that was pretty cool to see that happen. But, yeah, uh, Springer, Bregman, Altuve, Verlander, um, and Cole each made the all-star list from the Houston Astros.
2: A couple of times we've uh, gone through Bregman's numbers, and uh, his average eh. is not exactly spectacular, but the number of home runs and RBIs he has this year, pretty good.
3: Yeah, plus he's pretty good at defense. Yeah.
2: Uh, there was some news with a current LSU Tiger and one of our favorites. Uh, Zach Watson continues to play for the USA Collegiate National Baseball team against Japan on Friday. Pretty big ball game for him. I believe he went four for four.
3: Yeah. Three for four. Three for four. Um, he He's been great uh, this this whole summer with Team USA. Uh, so Team USA still rolling. What Did they finish up? They got another?
2: They played uh, yesterday. I'm still looking for the results of that game.
3: Yeah, they, they defeated Japan. I believe it was a comeback victory. But, uh, yeah, Team USA still rolling.
2: Uh, Maneri, of course, uh, says Watson is a really good player, really good athlete, but he wasn't ready for pro ball this summer. I think he knows that. He needs to work on some things, especially hitting the ball up the middle, hitting the ball the other way, and hitting breaking balls better. Uh, Watson has been happy with his progress so far. Zach's quote is, I was really just sticking on what I've been doing, trying to go the other way and seeing that outside pitch get deep. I've been pulling off the ball all season. So I've basically been working on going to the opposite field and it worked out tonight. There you go. Zach Watson. Hopefully we'll be able to catch up with him very soon.
3: Yeah. Um, and a couple of basketball notes before we, uh, get to our starting lineup. Aaron, did you see Grayson Allen had his second altercation? Hmm. Uh, this time with uh, Wade Baldwin. I'm, I'm interested in this just because every time Allen touches the court, he's going to have uh, someone looking to make you know shove him, get in his face, just because of that reputation he has. So I've enjoyed watching uh, the news surrounding him and his summer league. And the other news was Zach Levine. Did you see he got paid? struck a four-year deal for $78 million with the Bulls. Why is this important? Because nobody saw this coming. Nobody thought that Zach uh, Levine would, would, would make uh, $20 million per year. And, in fact, the Kings offered and the Bulls matched it. So multiple teams were willing to pay him this kind of money.
2: What would you make of this story from the NBA, uh, Tyron Lue and uh, Luke Walton meeting up for breakfast to kind of feel each other out and basically for Walton to pick, lose brain on how to handle LeBron James?
3: Well, they're buddies. I don't see anything wrong with it. They're buddies, and that's, you know, one friend helping out another. you not like
2: it, Aaron? Yeah, I, I didn't really have a, a – I just thought it was interesting that it went public, that it was that big of a deal that Walton had to reach out to him to kind of s- feel out how to coach LeBron James.
3: Yeah, well, it's not every day you coach one of the greatest basketball players of all time.
2: Uh, we'll get to, there's a couple quotes here from Lou that I wanted to get into in terms of LeBron and what it is like to coach him and maybe how he may get a bum rap because everybody thinks he's the GM and the mm-hmm, head coach.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's all part of the starting lineup brought to you by Louisiana Pain Care. Welcome back to the Morning Drive. You're already looking at uh, college football odds for the week one. <laughs> uh, Well, yes, I am doing that,
3: but this is separate, actually. Um, the Las Vegas Super Bowl. Yeah. Released the odds to win conferences yesterday, and so kind of run through some of our local ones. Let's start with the Sun Belt. Yeah. Arkansas State's the favorite, five to four, uh, to win that one. Troy has a nine to five odds. Appalachian State five to two. Now here we find Georgia Southern and ULM with twelve to one odds. Pretty good odds for ULM. Some respect there for the world. yes a team that's, you know, struggled the last two seasons in the wind department, um, they're getting some respect. And people are, like we've been saying, you know, all summer long, that people are expecting a lot more out of the Warhawks this year. Uh, and Georgia State and, and ULL. From, uh, a
2: program that has never won the conference championship.
3: Yeah, so that's, they're literally tied for fourth uh, on, on this list of teams. Uh, as far as the best odds to win it, that's pretty great. It, it, so behind them is Georgia State and ULL with thirty to one odds, and then South Alabama fifty to one, and then Coastal Carolina, Texas State hundred to one. So interesting. I, I found that to be a uh, really, really uh, good news for better
2: odds than LSU winning the uh, SEC. Y- y- yeah, yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. It actually is um, for the SEC. Guess who's got the best odds?
2: So. Uh you said Arkansas State was four to five odds to win the Sun Belt. Uh, five to
3: four. Five
2: to four. Yeah. So even money for Alabama to win. The They're SSC? actually
3: five to eight. Yeah. Uh, Georgia's five to two. Auburn seven to one. Mississippi State's twelve to one, and then Florida and LSU are tied with eighteen to one. Missouri getting some love twenty to one, and then South Carolina A and M. Who it,
2: would go pluck down ten dollars on Missouri at twenty? To one? <laughs>
3: <laughs> the the argument that you can make though, Aaron. What argument can well, you I'm make? Well I'm just telling you, it's a lot easier yeah. in the East. Yes. Yeah. So if you're gonna take if you want good odds, take it take an East Team. Even though so I So you're really thinking think if they can
2: get there, all they gotta do is win the one game in the championship game.
3: Yeah. And and who knows what can happen. I mean honestly, I think when you look at it, Georgia's probably gonna run away with it in the East. I'm interested to see how Florida does, but you know, Georgia does have to play LSU. You know, they get a, a, a little bit of a tough draw out of the West. It's not an easy draw. I'm not saying LSU's going to gonna win that game, but um, that, that provides opportunities. And a team like Missouri, a team like, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not buying stock in South Carolina this year, even though
2: I, I do expect them to be pretty good. They're Aiden. also showing a South Carolina spring game over the weekend. I mean, did you watch that? <laughs>
3: That's another thing. I can't. I don't really watch the reruns of spring games. I will watch <laughs> old football games, but not reruns of yes. spring games. Uh, A&M, Wise man. Yeah, <laughs> A&M is, I think, the most interesting team in the SEC this year just because we don't know what they're bringing to the table. You know, Jimbo got a new defensive coordinator. Uh, who knows what they're going to look like? Um, anyway, Conference USA, you know who the favorite is. It's everyone's favorite Lane Kiffin's team, FAU, four to five odds. Marshall seven to two odds. Uh, North Texas five to one. Middle Tennessee six to one, and then Louisiana Tech is fifth and with twelve to one odds. Hmm. How about UAB twenty to one odds? Who would have predicted that two years ago? It's hmm. pretty crazy. And then uh, Old Dominion and Southern Miss and UTSA all have thirty to one odds. And I, I figured I'd reel off the ACC. Since we're kicking that off today, kind of breaking that down. Clemson, of course, the favorite, five to nine odds. Miami, uh, five to two. Florida State, nine to two. Virginia Tech, eight to one. Nice.
2: So some respect there for Louisiana Tech and ULM.
3: Yeah, a little more respect for, for ULM, yeah. I think, in, in terms of the positioning of the conference.
2: Speaking of uh, betting and odds this weekend, I watched a little uh, horse racing this weekend. Uh, I know we that's hard to believe. Oh yeah. So last night, I'm doing a little grilling, and something took place that literally uh, was jaw-dropping. And I had a, I wasn't even actually betting on this race. It was just on in the background. Literally, a horse and his uh, jockey were 10, 15 yards away from winning. Uh, he fell off.
3: The jockey yeah, fell off? fell off.
2: It was, and the announcers were even startled. Has that ever happened? Before? Uh, yeah, it's happened before, but I mean, it's very rarely that you ever see it. And yeah. it was literally like the, the guy just hopped off the horse. And thankfully, I didn't have any money wagered on that horse. I would have been ticked. Did the horse keep going yeah. to win it? No. Uh, he finished uh, third or fourth. Shows you the importance of the jockey. <laughs> and I don't know how that actually plays out, too. If well, the I horse was finishes, of, yeah, that's what finishes I'm worried about.
3: If the horse crosses the finish line. Do you still win, or are they disqualify because the jockey dismounted? And the, the channel's
2: all basically about gambling, so Eric, oh, we'll get back to that story. And It was like they never went back to say, <laughs> "Hey, oh, by the way, the jockey's okay." <laughs> it was very odd. Uh, uh, what would the odds have been at the when Jim Henderson retired that uh, you would say, "All right." Well, Zach Streef will be the new play-by-play guy for the Saints. Not high. No. When we first saw this story, I snickered at it. I was like, yeah, that's about to happen. That was some bad info mm-hmm. that they got. Well, now, of course, over the weekend, Jeff Duncan, well-respected a beat writer for the Saints, has released the uh, Final Four to replace Jim Henderson. He says the finalists are Zach Streif, recently retired New Orleans Saints offensive tackle, Former WWL-TV anchor Mike Haas, who retired uh, or stepped aside uh, recently. He'd been on the desk for 27 years. He used to do sports, then he started doing news. Uh, New Orleans Pelicans play-by-play man Sean Kelly and Joel Myers. There's your final four to replace the legendary Jim Henderson.
3: I tell you what, if you listen to any of the play-by-play guys that come on this station, they hate this news, and rightfully so. I get it. You know, it, it, it takes years to kind of hone your craft as a play-by-play announcer. For Streif to have the inside track is uh, pretty unfair.
2: Streif started 94 games for the Saints, including 87 starts at right tackle from 11 to 2017. Uh, he did get a broadcast journalism degree or communications degree from Northwestern University.
3: Don't, don't go there.
2: And has uh, filled in numerous times at WWL as a guest host on a number of their sports shows.
3: Mm, well, a long list of uh, <laughs> experience there, huh? Now, you got to, and that's the thing, too, it, it, t- it requires multiple, multiple tries. I mean, like it's just like with radio, you know? I mean, how many times did it take for you to actually get comfortable and Kind of talking on the radio. It takes some time, or or TV. Aaron. Yeah. I mean, what what were those first tapes like that you oh, used to put Larry out? They were gold. Was, <laughs> yeah, I bet they was, were for awesome. us.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see how this plays out. A decision has to be made, or you think would be made, uh, before the start of training camp, which is uh, later this month.
3: Yeah. Uh, what are we? What is it? July 9th? Yeah. yeah.
2: I just. I mean, I can see Zach Streep doing the color job, and I think he'd actually do a better job than Deuce would. Uh, That seems like the more the 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 right fit.
3: Yeah, it's like they just don't want to. I don't know. They want to stick with Deuce, and Deuce just had that. uh, He he would talk over, you know, Mm -hmm. the the play-by-play guy, and that's if you get a green guy in there, and Deuce is already already has those bad habits of talking over him. Don't you think that's gonna be a train wreck?
2: Uh, in this article from Jeff Duncan, among the uh, candidates no longer under consideration are J.D. Byers, play-by-play guy of uh, University of South Alabama. Uh, Graf, of course, at Tulane. You've heard him on this show numerous times. Ken Trahan, of course, you heard him on this uh, station numerous times. There's a lot of high school football stuff. He's no longer in the running, and also Scott Walker, an anchor down there at WDSU. We'll see if Zach Streif makes the cut, if he's the new voice of the New Orleans Saints. 888-993-7762. The Morning Drive on Sports Talk 97.7 is back after this. A couple of texts here. Uh, Richie, I think, uh, in reference to Zach Streif, says the guy might fall into a career after football. Good for him. Correct. Scott says Sean Kelly, and it's not even close.
3: Do you have an opinion on those guys?
2: Do you know any of those guys? Not personally, no, no. Sean Kelly's pretty good. Yeah, he's real good. I think you gotta have an established dude, especially <coughs> For when, sure. when your color guy so raw.
3: Exactly.
2: So that's, that's and the other thing you never want to be the guy that follows the guy. Mm-hmm. Jim Henderson. I mean, literally, those are huge cleats to fill.
3: Yeah, he was tremendous. Yeah,
2: I mean, the Saints were lucky to have him.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you're gonna need a. An experienced guy.
2: The thing is, though, uh, this is WWL's decision. And then, of course, the Saints are weighing in. They can, of course, but it ultimately boils down to WWL. But you would think they're a radio broadcasting legend in the South. They've got some smart people down there. I think so. So, But, you know, Zach Street may be pretty good, too. We don't know that. I'm sure he's been doing a lot of uh, practice runs.
3: Listen, I'm sure, and I'm sure he's... He's, he's he's probably good at it, but I just don't know how you stick a guy in there without that experience. As a play-by-play guy, uh, callers is a different story.
2: 888 mm-hmm. right, so this week we're going to try something. Through the years we've had some great interviews with some uh, legendary coaches. Unfortunately, some of them have passed, but we thought it would be kind of cool to kind of go back and, and, and listen to some of these legends on, on their techniques and, and, and how, you know, some great stories from the past. Uh, I mean, we'll ha- we'll share some sound from uh, Eddie Robinson, uh, Charlie Brown. I uh, certainly had an interview with uh, Chick Childress that we may play later in the week. Uh, a number of maybe a Don Shouza uh, interview from the past just on what they meant and, of course, what they did for Northeast Louisiana. One of them, of course, uh, being Leon Barmore, uh, certainly one of our favorites. We had an opportunity to catch up with him in the spring, and we're going to share a portion of that interview with you. Just on Leon Barmore and his rise in the coaching ranks. Here's Coach Barmore.
1: Oh, well, uh, Brooke is uh, just like she's coaching. She was as a player. She's very smart. She's very dedicated to the game. Uh, she came to practice every day uh, t- to give me everything she had. Uh, her senior year she was uh, the leading free throw shooter in the country and we certainly had it in her hands in the last few minutes of every single ball game and I can't tell you how many games we won in the last five minutes because she could knock down free throws and uh, but she was just a a coach's dream And, uh, and I really really Enjoyed her coaching, uh, uh, her playing, and now her, her coaching.
2: Did you know that she would eventually be a coach? Or she was you know,
1: a, you know, you could tell that right off. If that's what she chose to be, it didn't matter. Whatever she chose to be, she's going to be good at it. But you could just tell the knowledge was there. The, uh, the making decisions, what she would do on the court, what she'd do off, she would make the right decision. And you knew good and well that if she coached uh, a team, and now she's coaching here at Louisiana Tech that she was going to put her players first, her university second, and just really make sure that uh, they did the right thing.
2: We're all history buffs. We always love to hear about lady textures and the traditions and how it all evolved. You go back to what you did in the high school ranks as a coach, and then they come and talk to you about joining the staff here. What were those early days like?
1: about the early days of Louisiana yeah. Tech? Well, certainly when I came, I was an assistant coach. and uh, But Ms. Hogan and I had a great relationship. The fact that she let me coach from day one. I would come over uh, two years before coming here. I'd come over after I got through at Ruston High School in the afternoon and help her with her team at Old Memorial Gym. So I grew up from the start with the program and joined it, I think, the third year it was in existence, and that was in 1978. And and this kind of hit me the other day, knowing that we were going to honor this team. I coached in four decades, 78 through 2002. And uh, certainly in those four decades, we had some great players. And uh, uh, watching the program in, I think, the second or third year, we went to the Final Four. And then when we signed uh, Pam Kelly and Kim Mulkey in that group, we we really took off, and there were some really great teams. and In the 80s, we pretty much dominated, uh, and along with Tennessee, and then uh, uh, even was successful in the 90s. But uh, a, a great uh, run for me personally over a long period of time, and doing it at the place that I played, Louisiana Tech, and I have such great love and respect for this. For this university in all sports but uh, to do it here in a, the town that I grew up in uh, I just can't tell you that just meant so much to me and still does.
2: Did you, were you curious how your coaching style was going to have to change or translate as you go from boys basketball to ladies basketball in college?
1: You know what pleased me was I came to, uh, 10 years in men's basketball in fact I started bachelor of high school and coached at Ruston but I'd coached boys for 10 years, so that was one thing when I came and started coaching the girls, and I, I said, you know what, how you, I didn't change. The thing I tried to do more of, to be honest with you, was compliment our kids. I, I was pretty hard on driving and getting the best out of them and all this, and, and probably was uh, too tough on them at times, but I learned very quickly the good athletes, regardless of where this boy or girl wants to be coached, they want to be pushed, they want you to help them achieve. Uh, as, as much as it can out of them. And, and the ones that don't, you don't want them anyway. So the players that I had through the year that became All-American, even those that didn't, uh, and responded to my coaching, uh, it pleased me because I knew that they were the kind we wanted here in our program.
2: As the thing really started rolling, you talked about the fact you make it to the Final Four and Lady Texter's brand and name is getting out there on a national scene. Was there a game or a time that you are like, wow, we're, we're making a difference and Louisiana Tech is on the map?
1: Well, it was no question, it was a trip to uh, California. We played three games. Uh, UCLA was a defending national champs. Ann Myers had played on the team the year before. And we go to LA and play Long Beach, USC, and uh, uh, UCLA. And we beat all three of them. And we beat UCLA uh, like three or four points in Poly Pavilion. I sat right on the bench. And John Wooden had sat down at the other end, you know. and. And, uh, But any yeah, it was. I mean, all the banners you so, and we were an unknown team in America, and UCLA was man, they were everything. They were like I said, defending champs. So we won all three of those games. Came back coming down I-20. Our fans had banners on the, the bridge over over I-20, and uh, and then the next day or two, we got in the pole for the first time, and then it just it just took off. Yeah, I remember that well. <laughs>
2: Uh, I, I know you're not a guy that loved to travel, but you look back and you look back at the snapshots and the pictures. I mean, you got to be flooded with some of those memories on just the good times and, of course, the relationships that you developed.
1: Well, I didn't like to fly. I didn't like to travel, but I did. I did because uh, I had to. I had to make a living. I had to uh, coach a team. That was one minute we were known in Louisiana. The next minute we were known all over the United States and then all over the world. And I told this story before when I first started out, we'd get on a plane and say, uh, we're from Louisiana Tech, and they say, oh, that's the home of Terry Bradshaw. And then after we started women, you get on a plane, It's they said, hey, that's the home of the lady Texter. So you don't think that meant a lot. It meant, <laughs> it meant a great deal. It made you just swell up with pride, but uh, yeah, we had to travel a lot, and uh, and it was sometimes very difficult. Brooke just went through one going to uh, play in this last trip where she had a 10-hour layover in Atlanta and a six-hour plane didn't even leave Monroe for six hours. And, the time she got there was like 3 a.m. in the morning. So Louisiana Tech has had to go through a lot of that. and uh, But when you go through all those things like that and you come out and win, it means even much more to you.
2: Did you know that you were going to be a coach early on? We talked about Brooke.
1: Oh, yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. I, I knew this in, in sixth and seventh grade. I came over and saw Jackie Moreland play at Louisiana Tech. I went and saw Bobby James play at Ruston High School, and then, I don't know, I just I just knew I wanted to be around sports and athletics, and basketball took off for me, and yeah, I knew at an early age I wanted to be, and I, and I, and I worked at it. I, I kept books and goals and uh, everything I could get my hand on. I went to see the best coaches uh, in clinics where it was Bobby Knight, Dean Smith, and John Wooden. I saw him uh, you know, at a clinic and listened to him. Was there Turn- one thing you took away from William? Uh, well, I remember seeing John Wooten at a clinic in Dallas, and uh, that morning, it was like, he's supposed to speak like nine o'clock, and I go down about eight, and he comes, and at that time, I, I don't know what his age was, but he, he had been out jogging, and uh, he came in and, and gave the pyramid of success, and they will forget that, you know, and, and all coaches really worship him at the time, because he was kicking everybody, and, you know, uh, and winning at the time, but you kind of got from Wooden uh, how to how to handle players and how to love them and teach them and mold them. Uh, he wasn't a fiery kind of coach like Knight was, and I certainly learned a lot from Knight. I went to his clinic in Indiana. But I just try to learn from the best and not do anything all the way that one of them would do. I, I took a little from Knight, a little from Wooden, and made my own mind up what's best. Scotty Robertson was one here at Tech who I played for. And... Uh, got a lot of uh, information, you know, from Coach Robertson. And so uh, I had a lot of good people that I got information from.
2: Plus you had success early. I mean, that bastard, I mean, that that state championship, what, the Nat brothers? No, I didn't. I didn't coach that
1: team. I had that team, to be honest with you. I was there four years. We didn't make, the year I went there, they'd won four games. And I had a boy named Don Cooper, and we only had one or two players that could really play, to be honest with you. And Don Cooper was really great. He averaged 32, and we made the playoffs and all that stuff. But uh, the fourth year there, I made the top 20. But now when I left, Jamie Mayo and Carl Kilpatrick and uh, Calvin Natt was in my junior high program, and they were going into the ninth and tenth grade, and I came back to Ruston. In fact, uh, you might ask Coach Vining this someday, uh, they were 35 and 1 and ask him who was that one loss to. Rustin I'll, I'll tell you, Rustin High, <laughs> Rustin High. And, uh, but Coach Vining took my place and boy, what a great job he did do.
2: We've talked about it with Summit or Gino, making the transition if they could have gone from the women's game to the men's game. You never considered it or never had an option or an offer to maybe perhaps do that?
1: Oh, that was my goal when I came to Tech. I said I'd come to Louisiana Tech I always had goals, I really did, and tried to achieve them the best I could. And one of them was to be the head men's coach at Louisiana Tech. So I came over here with the women for a couple of years, and I thought that would help me get some college experience. Because I always say, well, we can't hire a high school coach in a college head job. So I, I, I came here for a couple of years, and um, uh, then we got to winning. My third and fourth year, we were in the Final Four, win the national championship, and win back-to-back national championships. And when the tech job came open, I tried for it, but Dr. Taylor was not going to let me go to the men because we were. And you know, by that time, after that fourth, fifth, sixth year, right in there, uh, I kind of warned it early, but then after we started winning, uh, it, it didn't mean as much to me, so. Kind of glad to stay.
2: It really became an event, too. I've seen the footage at the old gym <coughs> and here at the TAC, just the way that this, you know, the region kind of responded to the program.
1: Well, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, uh, the Memorial Gym, we'd have 5,000, 5,200 every many minute seat. And, uh, in fact, we led the nation in attendance in around 83, 84, somewhere in there. And then, you know, people started having teams uh, and outdrawing us because of the size of the facility. But... Uh, let me tell you, those years with the fans just flocking out to see them, they had to wait in line to get in the gym, you know, and, uh, and, and that was just, you know, we moved over here to this facility, which is a great beautiful facility, Thomas Simmons Center. But when you really think about it, if you, if you were old enough to watch some of those games, that was some really good memories.
2: You're sitting up in the stands. I'm always curious. Are you able to watch it as a fan? Are you still breaking down the game and trying to, well, this is what I do, or perhaps this is the flow of the game?
1: I think that I can do a little of both, but with Brooke here and uh, rooting for her so much, and uh, usually I try to watch the X and O parts of it. What are they doing defensively? What are they doing on offense? Uh, And then, yes, as a fan, uh, but uh, most of the time I like to sit where... I'm not being bothered, so I can zero in on the game and, and enjoy it from that standpoint.
2: A couple final questions, coach. <coughs> you leave here and you talked about how difficult it was, and you wanted to go on, on a high note. Uh, Kim calls you with just an incredible opportunity. I, I've seen the video and the reaction, and you won a national championship down there with her. What did that mean to you?
1: Well, first of all, when I retired, those next three, or two or three years were really miserable. I didn't, I didn't, I don't have any. Uh, uh, golf was my only hobby, I don't hunt and fish, and I was really struggling. I was pretty, still fairly young, and I think I was like 57 years old, but <coughs> uh, I needed something desperately and then when Kim called me and asked me to do that, believe me, it uh, was something that was good for me. I hope it helped her. I went three straight winters, I just would go during the season, that wasn't a 12 month job, I didn't have to recruit. and. Uh, but I got to coach Brittany Griner, I got to be out on the floor with those players, I got to teach, I got to work, and then during the game I got to see her grow as a coach and Kim Mulkey has really developed, as, as uh, to me, as good a coach in this country as, as we have. And I credit her and her efforts because she's always uh, a student of the game and a very hard worker. But Kim saved me for those three years and I would have still been doing it, but it was just, it was 300 miles, five hours, I'd come home on weekend. We didn't want to move our whole family because my granddaughters were here and I wasn't gonna you know, just get away from them totally. But that really was, was good for me and I, and I really appreciated Baylor. Baylor treated me well and I really think the people there at Baylor because uh, I walk in the first day of practice. <coughs> I'm at center court and Kim said, look, this guy wants to meet you down here. I said, oh, who this is this first day of practice? I go down there, and it's Grant Taff, the used to be the legendary football coach. Now, Grant Taft wanted to meet me. Now, don't you know that made me feel good? But they treated me really well there, and I'll never forget that.
2: Uh, coach, can you put into words what basketball has meant to you?
1: Well, it's my life. I mean, you know, we all have to do something in our life that, uh, to be successful. Sports and basketball was my avenue. It may not be that for someone else. I understand that. But the one thing I tried, I really wanted to do this, and I want all our players that I coached, find something and be good at it. I don't know how good I was, but I know I was okay. And that pleased me. And uh then I married well, my wife Rachel, uh 51 years, one daughter with grandkids, uh Sophie Nelly, and uh uh a son-in-law, Carl Polyak, who's just outstanding. So the family in basketball, and Tech, that was, that was it.
2: And overall, Tech athletics, seeing where it's gone and where it is today, you got to be extremely proud, overall, of the athletic program.
1: Uh, Louisiana Tech, to me right now, we are really, to me, that the present, Dr. Geis, uh, Skip Holtz, uh, Eric, and, and Brooke, and the basketball. All, to me, Tech right now, it's unbelievable, the facilities we have and, uh, and what we're doing. Uh, I, just, I just think it's a wonderful place to be, to play, to coach, to be around. And uh, I compliment all those people that are involved now because I'm removed from it. But they're doing a really good job.
2: Really good stuff from uh, the legend Leon Barmore. A couple things in that that really stand out. The fact, you know, he got into it because he wanted, to, of course, eventually coach college men's basketball. To get his foot in the door, he goes with the Lady Textures. But then he was so successful that he couldn't make that transition. Then. I mean, they, had, they had built that program to such a point that they're like, well, are we really going to take away from the Lady textures mm-hmm. now and have him go to the Bulldogs?
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's quite the compliment yeah. to him, right? <laughs> I mean, the fact that he was that successful that, you know, they didn't want to take away from, from what he did. Yeah. As the women's coach
2: in 20 years as either the co head coach or the head coach, Barmore never suffered a losing season, only failed to win 20 games once, <sighs> uh, tallied an amazing 13 30 plus win seasons while also coaching Lady Texas to 20 straight NCAA tournaments, nine final fours, including eight in a row, uh, five national championship games. Incredible,
3: in yes. other words, he checks all the boxes yeah. as a legend. Mm-hmm.
2: Our conversations with legendary coaches will continue tomorrow. Good stuff from Leon Baum.
3: Yes. Coming up, I've got a couple of uh, hot takes over the weekend that I want to explore. Some radio analysts and uh, some columnists took some uh, unfavorable positions. And I'll just say that the subjects are Jameis Winston Mm -hmm. and Baker Mayfield. Mm. I can't wait for you to hear this.
2: All right. 888-993-7762. 888-993-7762. It's the Stuart Shelby Goosehead Insurance Hotline slash text line. The morning drive is back after this. All right, Jake, you got some hot takes, stuff that you agree with, I take it?
3: No, I do not <laughs> agree with this. Uh, let me preface by saying that. All right, so um, let me first start with the Baker Mayfield story. Now, this was um, a column by... David Hookstead, who was with um, the Daily Caller, I think is is where he's from.
2: Oh, I read him all the time. Okay, Okay.
3: I'm sure you do. Anyway, this got people talking. So he wrote a clickbait piece talking about Baker Mayfield getting engaged and how it was bad for his career. (laughs) Guys. Him settling down. Guys, calm down. What are we doing? (laughs) It's the summer. I get it. It's hard to find stuff to write about. But this is quite a stretch. Let me read to you what he Uh, said.
2: What are his main arguments why this is bad for Baker Mayfield?
3: I'm not sure this was such a smart thing to do. Mayfield has known the blonde bombshell for about six months. (laughs) That's not exactly a long time. Second, he's about to be the face of one of the most depressing franchises in all of pro sports. He hasn't even thrown a pass yet, and he's already focused on marrying a woman he's known for a few months? Seems a bit quick. If I was the Browns general general manager or head coach, I wouldn't be loving this at all. I want Mayfield focused on slinging touchdowns. Now, I'm not saying he shouldn't get married. I'm simply stating that maybe he should slow down a little bit. Let's focus on getting a year of football under our belt before we rush off to get married. What kind of person thinks they can give another person <laughs> advice about getting married or engaged when you have absolutely no idea what their it's relationship newspaper, is? newspaper like. guys, you think you know it all. Yeah. I'm making sure this guy is, is from, I'm making sure that I'm not.
2: Does he David the Hooker of the
3: Daily Caller? I think this might actually be a radio show. Okay. But um, <laughs> anyway, what a terrible take. And uh Maybe
2: this may thinking he's going to Cleveland. Not many options there anyway. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Time to all. settle down. That's. <laughs> There's a hot take for you. Well, you know if I that's a, that's a better hot take honestly. <laughs> but the fact that he's just like, well, you know, he's going to a struggling franchise. Maybe we should put our relationship on hold. Let me figure out this Browns thing first babe you how do you think his girlfriend would take that or his fiancee would
2: take? she that? came across uh, very strong the research that i did on this topic right right and uh, that baker mayfield that fa- facebook thing behind the scenes deal uh she came across strong okay she seemed legit to me okay from well, what i could tell from the edited A- version <laughs> well you,
3: you probably did more research than this guy did all right so uh tom looney this is the other great oh, yeah. hot take.
2: Yeah, he's from Fox Sports. I listen to him every night. On he the way is to from work. Fox Dinner Sports. Break.
3: He had a very bad take, though. Aaron. Yeah. So, I, I
2: really enjoy their show at night too. If you get a chance, you can hear it right here on Sports Talk ninety seven seven. very right. good.
3: So as we know, Jameis Winston was suspended for three games by the NFL after the investigation with the Uber and and what happened there. He interpro- he allegedly inappropriately touched the Uber driver. So. Let me read you Tom Luna's okay. quote here. This is not good. Tom. I like these hot takes. These sure. are. This is. I, I'm, I'm a fan of these. I look forward to these. Uh, he says, "We have a whole country of people who act obnoxious when they're drunk. Take away a guy's ability to make a living because he acted obnox- obnoxious when he was drunk, wasn't erected, wasn't arrested, acted obnoxious when he was drunk, and may have been vulgar. You don't take away people's jobs because of that. You don't. And here's another thing." He performs a duty that's very, very unique. He does a job that one in a million people can do, or one in 10 million people. Mm -hmm. Plus, he wasn't arrested. Has he mentioned that? Mm -hmm. We got guys arrested all over this league. Some guys for manslaughter, drinking and driving, killing people. He should get more than one chance to screw up. Tom, know your subject. This guy has a past. Mm -hmm. That is why the NFL took the stance. In fact, people wanted more games Because he has that past. He's been through this at Florida State. We've seen the mistakes he's made in the NFL. This is not just a one-off here with Jameis Winston. And secondly, how do you defend that? Like, how do you defend the story? I I get that he wasn't arrested, but it's the reputation, man. And and you can't sit here and say, well, we've all acted obnoxious before. That's what he's saying. He's saying. Yeah, we get drunk, and we can get away with, with doing obnoxious stuff. Tom, you're better than that.
2: And the NFL knows a little bit more than they're releasing. Exactly,
3: also. exactly.
2: To save, they're, they're covering up a little bit for Winston and for the league overall. Yep, exactly. And that's why, of course, it went from you know just down to three games, too.
3: Yeah, so anyway – some bad takes over the weekend. Which one was your favorite, The The Winston shouldn't have been punished or the – I
2: like the Baker Mayfield. The one. Baker Mayfield's yeah.
3: great. Yes. Just I love giving people relationship advice when I don't know them at all.
2: Uh, Richie says, and that guy is a terrible writer, trash writer, Jake. You better.
3: Thank, thank you, Richie. <laughs> uh, so that, anyway, those two caught my eye this weekend.
2: Maybe we can make that a uh, weekly segment. We should. The worst hot takes Trash of the takes. Yes. Trash takes. <laughs> No screaming, a eh? no Skip Bayless.
3: Not this week, but they'll they'll be featured. I would say almost weekly.
2: Uh, Jay says that's the most ridiculous quote I've ever heard in a long time. How do you defend a guy with a record like he's had? Exactly yes. correct. Seven o'clock hour in the books. You can join the conversation. eight eight nine nine three seven seven six two The Stuart Shelby Cooshead Insurance Hotline slash Text Line. We're gonna start our college football pre. Oh yeah. We're doing the MEAC next.
3: No, (laughs) ACC, come back. We we want people to come back. Okay,
2: that's coming up after the break.
0: Thanks for listening to the best of the morning drive with Dietrich and White. To listen live every day, tune in at ESPN977.com or subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts.